Hello, my name is Josh Roan, and I'm lead pastor here at Zion Church, a United Methodist congregation in York, Pennsylvania. We're a church with a physical location, but we also have an online presence each and every weekend. But today, I want to thank you for joining us for our podcast, something that's a little bit different rather than the songs and the hymns and all those different things that are part of our regular weekend experiences. This is just the main scripture and the sermon, an opportunity for us maybe to hear again God's word, which we tuned into this weekend, or maybe an opportunity to hear it afresh and anew. So I would encourage you as the week begins to listen in and to lean in to what God is saying to you. Thank you for joining us. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand at this time for our gospel lesson this morning. It comes from Luke's gospel, the ninth chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 28 through 36. If you want to follow along, you can do so in the New Testament section of your pew Bible on page 68. Again, that's page 68 in the New Testament section of your pew Bible. Luke's gospel, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse 28 and continuing through verse 36. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. And in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On the days leading up to our scripture lesson this morning, Jesus had been busy, and Jesus had been doing a lot of pretty incredible ministry. I mean, he's taught multiple crowds on numerous occasions. He's come, and he has shared God's word with people who are hungering and who are thirsting, who are yearning for God and the things of God. But not only that, he's healed a demon-possessed girl, and he did so without even going to her home. I mean, talk about a miracle. And then he fed 5,000 people. And he fed them not only so that each had enough to eat, but so that there were leftovers, God's grace and abundance put on display for all. And then let's not forget that he healed a man who was afflicted with demons, casting these demons out of this man and into some swine that were standing nearby. And then too, he had also healed the centurion's servant, And he had raised the dead son of a widow back to life. Miracle upon miracle, incredible teaching upon incredible teaching. We'd look over the season of life of Jesus' ministry and we'd say that he's been pretty successful. He's doing miraculous things. He's healing broken bodies. He's bringing the dead back to life. 
And people are being changed as he preaches God's word in a fresh new way that the people have yearned to hear for centuries. All of this led Jesus to ask this question of his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20, right before what we picked up with this morning. Who do people say that I am? Having healed broken bodies, having preached a powerful word from God, he wants to know, who do people say that I am? The disciples, they take a minute and they reflect on that. Some say he's John the Baptist. Others think he's Elijah. Some think he's one of the other prophets who've returned from the dead. And having found out what the crowds and the townspeople think about him, Jesus now asks a more pointed question of his followers. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Bold, brash Peter. You've got to love him. Peter, who seems to never be at a loss for words, Peter in that moment steps up and he says, I have the answer. I know exactly who you are. You are the Messiah of God. You see, through the miracles, because of the teaching, because of all that he's seen and experienced, Peter now seems to know who it is that he's following. He's following the one that the prophets spoke about. He's following the one that all of Israel had been looking forward to. He's following the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah and Lord for whom God's people have been yearning. Now, given Peter's answer, you'd think he'd want him to go and proclaim that news to all the world. Peter, go and share with everyone this good news. But instead, Jesus tells Peter, don't say a word. It's almost as if Jesus says to him and all in earshot, let this be our little secret. And after that, Luke tells us Jesus continued to teach his disciples. And when he taught them, he taught them many unexpected things, things that no one expected to hear, let alone these disciples who had signed on to follow him. Luke tells us that Jesus opened to them the scriptures. He helped them to understand that he was indeed the Holy One of God, the Son of Man. That he, the one who was teaching them these very things, is the one who was commissioned by God the Father to come to earth. But ultimately, he was the one that was going to be rejected, murdered, and three days later rise from the dead. And that all of this was going to happen in the very near future. If you think about what the disciples have just gone through, if you think about all that the disciples have just experienced. I mean, in just a short period of time, they've seen Jesus Christ teach. They've seen him heal. They've seen him bring back the dead. They've had incredible experience after credible experience who have revealed to them exactly who it is that they've signed on to follow. They now know, it seems, who Jesus really was and is. The disciples have an epiphany at that moment. And maybe Peter has the most pointed epiphany of all. After miracle and miracle and miracle, after sermon, after sermon, after sermon, Peter now seems to get more so than all the others who it is that he's signed on to follow. Peter has had this incredible epiphany about it is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of God. As I read that passage 
And as I reflected on Luke 9 over these last few days, I thought, you know what? Many times we talk about and we pray for revival. We pray that people's eyes would be open, that they would discover the truth of God for themselves. And the disciples have just had that happen for them. They've had revival. And it seems like they're on cloud nine spiritually. I mean, how could things get any better than this? They are walking and talking. They're spending every moment of every day with the Messiah and Savior of the world. From the outside looking in, it doesn't look like or it doesn't appear that things could get any better. I mean, what other mountaintops are there? You're there with Jesus. You've seen broken bodies healed. You've seen the dead raised to life. You've heard the powerful preaching. Can it get any better? Well, for three disciples, it does. In today's scripture, Luke tells us that about eight days after Jesus had just spent telling them these things, he takes Peter, he takes James, and he takes John. He takes these three, and they go up together on the mountaintop to be alone. They're there to pray, according to Luke. What a powerful prayer meeting it must have been. They're there to talk to God. They're there to hear the Father's voice. And they have none other than God the Son there to guide and direct this prayer meeting. They're there to share the burdens that are on their hearts with God the Father, and they're there to have those burdens lifted by the Father Himself. Four of them are there on top of that mountain. They're alone. There is no one else beside them. But then as Jesus is praying, something incredible happens. Something utterly miraculous takes place. Jesus is transformed before their very eyes. He's transfigured in the biblical language. He was changed. To help his disciples identify who he was to help in their understanding of him, Jesus reassumes in front of their very eyes his pre-incarnate glory, according to John chapter 17, verse 5. His clothes in that instant become a dazzling white. They are brilliantly white, whiter than you and I could picture and whiter than we could ever get them with bleach. That day on that mountain, there is Jesus, there is James, there is John, and there is Peter. No one else is around. No one else has come up this mountainside along with them. Yet wonder of wonders, as Jesus is transformed before their very eyes, there are now two other people on this mountaintop with them. There are two other people, and they're talking with Jesus, who's there in his pre-incarnate glory. And Peter, James, and John know very quickly who these people are. We're not told how they were able to identify them, but they were able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is Elijah and it is Moses. These two great heroes of the Jewish faith, these two forebearers who have been such pivotal leaders in the life of God's people. I mean, can you imagine the experience? To see Jesus transfigured was one thing, but now to have these two strangers, these two great heroes of the faith join them, what a life-changing moment this has to be. What an incredible encounter is taking place. Is it any wonder that Peter would then say in verse 33, Master, 
it is good for us to be here. Master, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be in this place. So let us make three dwellings. Now, there's great historical significance for this. There's many ties with various observances and practices of the faith. But this much is sure. Peter wants this moment to last. He doesn't want it to be fleeting. He doesn't want it to pass him or the other disciples by. He wants this moment to last. He wants to stay up here on the mountaintop spiritually. Peter doesn't want to go back to life as usual. And let's face it, who of us could blame him? When you've just seen this happen with Jesus, when you see Moses and Elijah standing there, why would you want to go back down into the valley? Why would you want to return to life as usual? They had climbed up on that mountain on that day, hoping to experience God in a powerful way, and God had exceeded their expectations. The thing is, Jesus didn't permit Peter to build those shelters that he asked to build. He didn't allow James and John to collect wood and begin the task. He didn't allow these three disciples to remain on that mountaintop. He didn't let them stay in that moment forever. Instead, they have to go back down the mountain. Friends, I think we're a lot like Peter. When we have those incredible experiences in life where it seems like heaven breaks through in a powerful way, when we encounter God in some special way in our lives, we want to hold on to those moments. We want to grasp hold of them as tightly as we can. We want to bottle them up and make them last for as long as possible. But the thing is, we can't. We can't stay on those mountaintops forever. We can't bottle up those things and make them last forever. So whether it was a profound experience that you had at VBS as a child, or whether it was a mission trip that you were on where you saw God work in only what can be described as miraculous ways, or whether it was a conference or seminar where God spoke to you and you heard his voice clearly in ways that you never have before, or whether it was that incredible week at church camp where God totally turned your life upside down. We have to leave those mountaintops. We have to return from the conferences. We have to return from the church camps. And we have to enter back into everyday life. No matter how much we want to stay in those moments, we can't. No matter how much we long to keep that spiritual mountaintop alive, we can't. Friends, that's actually good news. Because God doesn't intend for us to live in the mountains. He doesn't desire us to be detached from reality and from this world around us. No, in fact, as his followers, he calls us to be in the world while not of it. He calls us to partner with him in this incredible venture to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's called with us to partner with him in the family business, that work of going and making disciples, of telling people of every tribe and tongue 
the good news of Jesus Christ. He desires that we take what we learn on those mountaintops. He desires that we, ta- what we take, that we take what we experience in those profound moments of spiritual illumination. And that we allow those things to change us and shape us, to transform how we live and how we go back into and live out our lives in those ordinary moments. You see, for all the rejuvenation that those events provide, for all the spiritual vitality that results from those moments, and for as true as that was for Peter, James, and John, the mountain for them wasn't the final destination. No, God had many other things in store for them. He had many other things that he wanted to accomplish through them. Peter would become the rock upon which the church would be founded. The disciples would go on to live faithfully and to boldly testify to the good news of Jesus Christ. Thousands of lives being changed and transformed. None of that would have happened if they stayed on the mountaintop. But that time of retreat, that time of rejuvenation, that time of illumination was a time of preparation. It was a time of preparation that God the Father used to prepare these three disciples for that which was to come. And in the same way, those times of retreat that we have, those profound experiences that we have where God speaks to us in fresh new ways, those things are intended to prepare us for a time where we too can be on the offensive. A time where we too can partner with God to see His kingdom come. A time where we can partner with Him to go and make disciples. Today as we continue and as we advance even further into this season of Lent, we recognize that we find ourselves in this 40-day period of preparation. A 40-day time of renewal. A time in which we prayerfully ask God to open our eyes so that we might see things more clearly. A time where we ask God to unclog our ears that we might hear His truth more faithfully. But also a time where our lives are opened up as things are stripped away so that we might serve Him more fully and faithfully. So we prayerfully and penitentially continue in this season. Not with the hope that we can stay here. Not with the hope that the season of Lent will have its final word. No, we enter into this season of fasting, this season of prayer, so that we can retreat from the world and its attachments for a time. So that in this season, God might shape us and form us, that He might create in us clean hearts, that he might renew in us a right spirit. So that in the days, the months, and the years that follow, we might be all the more committed to live faithfully for him as his disciples, advancing his work in our lives so that indeed many others would come to know him, so that many other hearts and lives would be changed to the honor and glory of his name. So my prayer for us is that during this Lenten season, we would have some profound and what we could only describe as mountaintop experiences with God. 
Moments where we hear God's voice in fresh new ways. Moments where God blesses us with insight that we've never seen or had before. And that we would allow those moments and those experiences to shape us and transform us. But I also pray that this season of retreat wouldn't be the final word. That instead God would use it to revive us, to rejuvenate us, to focus us, and ultimately to prepare us for the work that he has for us in the season to come. That work of going and making disciples. Of faithfully testifying to what we experienced on the mountaintop so that others too might come to know God and walk faithfully in his ways all the days of their lives. Amen and amen.